All right, back on the Young Turks. I got a couple of Just Democrats for you guys tonight. Uh, let's start out with uh, the first one ever. Joining me now is Ro Khanna. Uh, he's, of course, Congressman from California's 17th District and one of the top progressives in the country. Ro, welcome uh, back to the Young Turks. Jake, it's uh, great to be back on. All right, so we got a couple of issues to talk about. One is foreign policy, but I want to save that for a second. Uh, I actually want to ask you about uh, democracy dollars. So uh, Andrew Yang mentioned this in the last debate uh, about how you can give money uh, to political figures from not just millionaires and billionaires, but you could actually have the government give money to um, average citizens and that could empower them. The media apparently didn't know much about it, so they snickered because of the name democracy dollars. But I know that you worked on a very similar proposal. So can you explain to us what your proposal was? Absolutely, and I give Andrew Yang a lot of credit for bringing that up on the debate stage. In fact, I reached out to him and said uh, we should do a joint email because Andrew Yang's proposal is exactly what I introduced to the House of Representatives that is based on not my idea, but an idea put forward by Russ Feingold, the champion of uh, campaign finance reform, and Bruce Ackerman, who's probably one of the uh, most respected constitutional law scholars in the nation. And the idea is simple. Uh, right now, we spend about $6 billion on uh, private elections. And the Supreme Court, unfortunately, under Citizens United, has said we can't uh, ban the private spending. I mean, we want to do that, but until we change the court, uh, there's no way to do it. So Ackerman's idea and Feingold's, which was ingenious, says, well, if we can't ban the money, let's just drown it out. Let's give every citizen uh, $100 to contribute to federal elections. And you know what? Uh, that would be twice the money that all the super PACs and private money combined would have. And every individual running would have a choice. You could either uh, still have your financing through private money, uh, or you could take the democracy dollars, which every citizen would have. Well, if you decided to be, uh, let's say, Tom Steyer and just fund your own campaign, you wouldn't qualify for democracy dollars and someone else would come in and run in the congressional district and get all of the voters money. So in a long, it's a long way of saying something very simple. It's basically making every voter a donor and letting grassroots funding drown out any private sector funding and it's constitutional under this court. So um, just to be clear, so let's say you had that $100. If you don't spend it, it goes back into the treasury. It's not like you could use it for donors. Okay, correct. And right, and and if you do, it it doesn't ban Soros money or or Koch brother money. What it says is you also get money from the treasury to compete with them, basically. I understand that right? Correct. And I would love to ban Soros money, as you know, Jake. But this court is not going to allow that. And so the ingenious thing about the democracy dollar program is under a Roberts court, under a conservative court, this would be constitutional because our court, even this conservative court, has obviously said that you can have government assistance for funding. I mean, people can qualify for federal election funding. This is just saying every citizen gets $100. Now, the total cost of this is about six to seven billion dollars. That, to put that in context, that is less than one percent of our entire military budget. So, do you think it's worth spending one percent of our military budget to restore democracy to citizens? That's the basic question. Well, I'd make it at least five hundred dollars. In which case, 
it would still not be as much as just oil subsidies. And, and oil subsidies are given to the most profitable corporations in the world. And the reason they're, uh, they do that is because the oil companies bought the politicians. So if we were able to donate to politicians, they probably wouldn't do the oil subsidies. So boom, it just paid for itself. Uh, sure, we can uh, increase the amounts. The, the $100 was just an amount that would ensure that uh, the citizen funding was almost two to one of the private sector funding. Uh, you can make the three to one, four to one, uh, and as the program works, uh, expand it. Uh, but uh, to get it started, I, I don't see how anyone can oppose uh, the $100 proposal. In fact, in fairness, and our politics aren't always aligned, Kirsten Gillibrand ran on a similar proposal of democracy dollars, uh, and uh, you know the media uh, didn't really pay attention to it. But in my view, this is the uh, real way that we could quickly reform campaign finance. Didn't you work with her on that a little bit? We did here. We 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 exchanged ideas at email. She had a, her own plan in the Senate. Uh, I worked with Bruce Ackerman and Russ Feigold, but she deserves credit for uh, her work in the Senate. And Andrew Yang deserves credit for making this an issue at the presidential uh, level. Ro Khanna, campaign uh, co-chair for Bernie Sanders, uh, with an outrageously open mind about other candidates. So, <laughs> on, on oh, look, I mean, I, I I still think Bernie Sanders is the best person to be president of the United States for a very simple reason. He has spent his entire life fighting for working families and working Americans. The person who works at Walmart, who works at Amazon, who works at Disney, who's making 13, 15 bucks an hour, can't afford prescription drugs, can't afford to send their kids to college or vocational school, can't afford the cost of housing. When they look at this field, there's one person who's been fighting to help them to improve their lives consistently, and that's Bernie Sanders. And if you want someone who is going to help those folks who are left out by the Trump economy, because the Trump economy has been a tax cut for the 1%, the best person to take that message is Bernie Sanders because of his life and because of his focus. Yeah, and um, uh, you signed a progressive economic pledge, so did uh, Bernie Sanders. Number one on that is higher wages. But Ro, you don't know anyone in Congress that helped actually increase wages for Americans, do you? How's that uh, for actually, that would be Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I mean, here's the remarkable thing. The best line I have on, a, on the stump when I'm out for Bernie Sanders is that uh, Bernie Sanders, as a senator in the minority, got 350,000 Americans a raise. Uh, and imagine if he could do that at Amazon, where he got Jeff Bezos within three weeks to raise wages for 350,000 Americans to $15. Imagine what he could do as president. And this is something that uh, people often forget. The president has the bully pulpit. And you can use the bully pulpit to do a lot of things, as Trump has shown, negative things. But you can also use it to do a lot of positive things. Imagine Bernie Sanders as president calling out corporations saying, raise your wages to at least $15, raise your wages for middle income families. 70 million families in this country earn less than $75,000. That's two thirds of American families. They have not gotten a meaningful raise for the last 40 years. Imagine if Bernie Sanders every day wakes up at the Oval Office thinking, how do I get those Americans a raise? How do I get them health care? How do I get them education? How do I keep them out of war? That's the type of president he would be. And of course, the, the guy he worked with in the House on that Stop Bezos Act was Ro Khanna. Uh, so let me go from a 
obvious softball question <laughs> to a really, really hard question. Let's go, <laughs> let's go to foreign policy. So John Bolton left the administration recently. You celebrated that in an op-ed that you wrote for the nation. Um, but um, who would you rather have in charge of US foreign policy? John Bolton or Donald Trump? Donald Trump, uh, I mean, as hard as that is to uh, say, uh, John Bolton has been pushing Donald Trump to get us into war after war after war. Trump made more progress on North Korea, Bolton undermined it. Uh, Trump uh, resisted Bolton's call uh, to do a military strike in Iran. If it were up to Bolton, we'd always be, already be in war uh, in Iran. But let me be clear, I mean, I think Donald Trump's foreign policy has been disastrous, whether it's uh, in Venezuela, whether it's getting out of the JCPO in Iran, whether it's the Paris climate change, but you're giving me the choice between him and someone who has been the architect for one of the worst American foreign policies, and that's Bolton. So I would pick Trump over him. Yeah, no, I know that it's a Hobson's choice. It's uh, you know Satan or Beelzebub. Uh, but but I agree with your choice. We even have a poll up on that tyt.com/bolton uh, if people want to uh, vote on that. Uh, but the reason I ask the question is uh, so that people can understand the proper context of it. Ro. Uh, by my count, there's about 13 neoconservatives in the whole country. Uh, what's wrong with media? Because me, the media makes it seem like it's at best a 50-50 proposition as to whether Americans wanna go to war with Iran. And I don't know anyone in the left wing, and I don't know anyone in the right wing that wants to go to war with Iran. So I, it, it, it appears to me that the way that the media is uh, representing it uh, by constantly putting neoconservatives on air, uh, grossly misrepresents the situation. But you work with a lot of right-wingers in Congress, so you tell me, is that right or wrong? You're absolutely right. I mean, my amendment, which I did with Matt Gates to stop any funding for an offensive war in Iran, passed with 251 votes. Uh, 27 people from the Freedom Caucus voted for it. Here's their logic. Our GDP, America's GDP is 24% of global GDP. China is 15%. Iran is 0.44%. The entire Middle East is 3.5%. Why in the world are we even talking about Iran from a military perspective? How does that in any way help the United States? And by the way, the Strait of Hormuz, which uh, is critical to liquid natural gas or oil uh, getting to certain countries, uh, Iran's top uh, purchasers of oil are China uh, or India or South Korea. The United States isn't even dependent on that oil. So there are Republicans who understand that this is not in our strategic interest. I mean, the progressives, you can make the human rights case, the moral case. For Republicans, you can just simply make the strategic case and most of them, many of them are beginning to uh, appreciate that this has hurt America's national interest. All right, uh, Congressman Ro Khanna, uh, one of the uh, most progressive and, uh, and well-versed in policy uh, uh, people in all of Congress. Thank you for joining us on the Young Turks, appreciate it. Jack, it's always an honor, I appreciate your having me on. Thank you, brother. All right, uh, going from one just Democrat to another, when we come back, interview with Morgan Harper. Um, well, you know, what is the situation with uh, the inc Democratic incumbent in her race? Why is she running against her? And and what's uh, what's Morgan's story anyway? Where did she come from? Well, we'll talk about that when we come back. All right, back in the Young Turks. Joining me now is a Just Democratic candidate in Ohio in the third district, Morgan Harper. Uh, welcome to the show. 
Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, rock and roll. Uh, happy to have you here. All right, so Morgan, you're uh, running as Democratic incumbent. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna talk about why in a second. But before we do that, I wanna get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, I heard the story yesterday uh, when we did the People's Fundraiser for you. Uh, JustDemocrats.com slash Morgan, by the way. Um, but uh, I want everybody to hear, what happened to you when you were 10 years old? Yeah, when I was 10, I got financial aid to go to one of the most elite private schools in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm running and where I'm from. And it really opened me up to the economic segregation that is rampant throughout this country, really, but certainly in central Ohio, where your zip, your zip code or if your parents have money determines your outcomes. And for everyone else, you know, you have to kind of figure it out or it's not a guarantee that you'll get access to a high quality education. And that really bothered me. And it's really set me on the course of my life, which has been a quest to try to bring economic justice and real justice so that everyone has a fair shot, no matter the circumstances of their birth. And it's particularly for someone who's adopted, that's been a really important theme for me. Just my beginning was random and I wanna make sure that it's not quite so random that people have access to um, all of our you know, basic needs and high quality education. Did your parents apply for you to get that scholarship? Yeah, we had to take a test and then you see whether you get an offer from the school to see how much money will be covered and, and all of that. So it was, a, it was a long process. And before that you were going to public school? Before that I actually went to a neighborhood Catholic school, uh -huh. uh, yeah. And so when you got to the private school, it was just leagues better? Leagues better, yeah. I mean, my my neighborhood Catholic school, you know, great people, good school, but we were taken out of the class at times to do serial testing. I remember for consumer research so that the the school could get more money. We had science textbooks that were from the seventies, and sometimes we'd have a science curriculum as part of our school day, sometimes not. So it was it it was light years away, you know, once I went to this elite private school in Columbus that you had classrooms for science alone and each kid starting in middle school had their own station in a laboratory. And I, I still remember that day when I walked in and I could hear a fish tank bubbling and just the peace and quiet and ability to focus and learn. It just struck me as like, how is this possible? It's only 15 minutes from where I had been before and that everyone else I went to school with wasn't gonna get access to this type of environment. Yeah, I mean that, uh, basically reminds me of a couple of things as to why I'm a progressive and what progressives care about. You know, the right wing uh, puts out this mythology that progressives want equality of results. Mm -hmm. No, we want equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. And anyone who sees the state of those two different sets of schools mm -hmm. and thinks that we're all have the same opportunity. Right. It's total nonsense. No, it, it, it is, it's a complete farce and, and it's not fair. And it's not what the American dream, quote unquote, you know, is supposed to be about. Uh, and in order to actually achieve that vision of everyone having access to the same resources and getting to determine the outcome of their life, we have a lot of work to do. And it needs to start right now. So you weren't in politics at all. I mean, you worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, mm -hmm. uh, but um, but you never ran for office before. I've never run for office. No. Yeah. Not even student council. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, uh, I got my ass handed to me by Debbie Kirshner in ninth grade student council, student president okay. uh, race. So uh, uh, that's my one foray in, into politics. Anyways, uh, so uh, what made you decide to, to run here, especially against the Democratic incumbent? Yeah, no, I mean, I got to the point where I had to be really honest with myself. Like I said, I've been really focused on issues around inequality, economic justice for most of my life and career. And, you know, you look around at the state of our district, the third district, and you see that 
whatever we're doing, it's not working. Because in fact, it's getting increasingly more difficult for people to get by, to earn enough money to live. There's you know increase in homelessness, the cost of housing in the third district. It's all happening, and you know particularly in the part of Columbus where I grew up uh, on the east side, there there has been a slow deterioration of you know resources, higher pockets of unemployment, crime. And we've got to do something. And I just felt a real urgency, the urgency I've felt my whole life really, but particularly now where there is a movement happening that we in the third district need to be a part of that and make the federal government put in the resources to invest in us and our communities. So uh, the standard mainstream media and Democratic Party would say, what do you mean? You've got a perfectly good Democratic incumbent there. Who not she doing all that stuff? What do, what do we need a challenger for? I turn it right back to the state of the district, like I just described. It's like I don't, I'm not, I'm not that focused on who's done what. All I'm looking at is people. I'm coming at this from a very people-focused place, and people are not doing well. You know, we were just out canvassing last weekend and talking to people, and I'm meeting a guy, you know, from people with master's degrees that can't find a job, people that have seen drugs that have overtaken communities and the deterioration of these communities over 40 years, and they're. They're fed up and they don't have any hope and we need to do something about that. So that's where I was coming from and deciding to launch this grassroots campaign, no corporate money. And I do believe in order to be the best advocate for people in the third district, we have to get the money out of politics and we have to start pushing with a more aggressive agenda that includes things like Medicare for all, Green New Deal to do something about the environment. In addition to you know systemic reparations, if we're talking about real justice, we have to think about the injustices of the past as well. So. Uh- you, the incumbent in the race is also African American. So has she been vociferously campaigning for reparations? Not in my observation, no, no. And so, well, she's probably vociferously fighting for the district in other ways, is she? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, right now, what I'm trying to do is bring a voice to the issues that people are organizing around in our district. So, you know, there last weekend, last week, we had the climate, youth climate rally. That was a huge gathering of people. And people were coming to me and saying, wow, it's such a relief to have someone who's willing to speak out publicly and forcefully about the climate emergency that we have in our hands. We have people that are grateful that I'm willing to, to say public statements about police brutality that is happening in our communities. And, and this is, this to me is the danger in thinking just because we have a Democrat in office that that's enough. And particularly where the third district is a gerrymandered district. So there's no risk of ever losing a seat to have someone that's not pushing as hard as they can, shooting for the stars from a policy perspective to explore what's possible at the federal level is a real problem. And the only way to give people a choice in this type of district is to have another Democrat run. And you said no corporate PAC money. How about the incumbent? What percentage is corporate PAC money? A lot of corporate PAC money, 80% corporate PAC money. So, But she probably has a huge small donor base too. What percentage is small donors? About 3% small dollar donors. So not not a broad base of support in a district that's, as you know, almost 800,000 people. Yeah, so look, obviously I know those numbers. And so, and I'm not a big fan of Democratic incumbents. People know that, we're very honest about it, etc. But there's a reason why I'm not in favor of Democratic incumbents, because they're not doing anything. So I remember when AOC was running against Joe Crowley, some people were concerned, but you know, uh, then the then the district will lose power because you have this more established Democrat that could do things for the district. But I didn't see Crowley doing anything with the district, and now AOC's got more power than anybody else. Yeah, right. That perceived power, what's it getting us? 
Yeah. What do we, what do we have to show for that? And I'm going to be organizing. We call it organizing. We've talked about it before, but organizing and organizing new voters that have not been turning out, that are not motivated by the people we're putting forward, and engaging a lot of young people and people from the communities that are not doing well. And and we're going to build a very broad coalition, and it's already happening. So. In that way, I do believe we all benefit from more people engaging in the democracy, and that's certainly what we're we're seeking to accomplish through our race, and it's already happening. So, is does the incumbent take banker money? Financial services, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of financial services money. Okay, um, which is particularly problematic for me. You know, I worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, we were overseen by the Financial Services Committee, and just from a, a rational point of view, right? I mean. Conflicts of interest abound, and you can't be free to fight and advocate for people if you're taking money from the entities that are, in some ways, you know, taking advantage of people. You have to be free to just fight free of all of that money, and so it's a real problem to me to be taking money from financial services industry in particular. Yeah, um, well, I'm sure that the the bankers are giving her money for their health or for charity. I'm sure of it. And the second time they gave to her, they probably did not get a return on investment, but they decided, you know what, I'll do more charity. Right. That's probably how it works. And so, how about payday lenders? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a person who, in a record that went in the state house, was blocking payday lending legislation. Other Democrats went on the record as saying that. And, you know, again, I mean, that's an issue I've worked a lot on at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. We see the predatory effect that these types of loans can have on people, the debt traps that they put them in, and they can take years to recover from the amount of money, 500% interest rates that people end up paying. And it is almost invariably people that are already vulnerable. And to not be able to do something about that, is is borderline criminal to me, you know? It's a real problem and you're not standing up for us if you are taking this money. And when you get in office, if you win, the first thing they'll tell you, Morgan, is, now remember, most important thing in the world is to respect your colleagues. And you're just a freshman congresswoman, so wait your turn. What will be your response? I'm running to get into Congress to get things done, right? So I am very respectful in how I interact with people, but I'm also gonna be extremely forceful in pushing the agenda that needs to happen to make sure that this country and this economy works for all of us and all of the hardworking people of the third district. And I will be unapologetic in doing that. Well, what if they say to you, well, Morgan, you're gonna vote for the Green New Deal, but there's a seat in Oklahoma that the Democrats will be in danger of losing if you know if they're perceived as being in the same group as you and AOC, etc. So you're gonna cost that seat in Oklahoma to us if you keep doing this. And by the way, the, the person who holds that seat is also deeply offended that you're saying that he's doing nothing, okay? So what, what, what do you say to that? We have a climate emergency and we need to do something about it yesterday. And so I am going to be aggressive about pushing for the Green New Deal so that we actually have a planet that I can be a part of, that children that are organizing around the country and taking time away from school will have something to live for. And I have no patience for this mentality that we need to be protecting seats for the sake of protecting them for what? What are we getting out of this? Nothing. And we have a climate that is in danger and a lot of other issues that we have to work on. So like I said, I do it respectfully, but I am going to be 100% unapologetic and pushing for my agenda. All right, now the links are of course going to be in the description box, guys. And you can see morganharper.org is the website, get more information. You could donate through that confusing link or you could just go to justicedemocrats.com slash Morgan. 
just democrats.com slash Morgan. And and so if she's not taking corporate PAC money and banker and payday lender money, then it's on you guys. And and I'll tell you last quick thing, guys. I was just in New York, I did a rally, and a couple people came up to me and said, Thank you for showing us AOC before mm-hmm. she won because I got to give money to her. Mm-hmm. Another guy said I got to volunteer for her. And I said, how does that make you feel? And they were like, "Oh, best feeling in the world. Oh, so great. good news for all of you out there, you could do it now with Morgan, okay? Yes. And when she wins, you could be like, I made that happen, <laughs> okay? And that will be true. Yeah, no, and really having the national support and all people from all the different states that are supporting our race, including people in the third district in central Ohio, it's what makes you feel like this is possible and we will win. And so I'm so excited to have the support from all of the different viewers and, and really there's no way we could do it without you. So I'm really, really appreciative of that. And follow along on social media, MH number four OH. All right, there you go, Morgan Harper. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank we really you. appreciate it. Yeah, great. All right, guys, when we come back, Anna's gonna come back, we're gonna do a post game show. I'm gonna tell you uh, Uber stories from the road. Uh, talk to a couple of uh, Trump supporters, fascinating conversations. And then uh, talk to a whole bunch of Democrats. Who are they voting for? Also super interesting. So that's for the members, tyt.com slash join to become a member and get the last half hour of the Young Turks. We'll see you there.